Well, I'm excited to be with you this morning, um, and, and here's why. I've got a couple rules when it comes to preaching, uh, but my first and foremost, foremost rule is this. I will never preach a word to you that I've not preached to my own heart. And so my, during my study and my preparation for this message, it's been, God's worked in my heart. It's been profoundly impactful for me. And so my hope and my prayer for each of us is that you would be open and receptive to what God has for you this morning. Because I believe that God speaks through his word. And that he has something to say to each of us. And so I just want to get after it. As you scroll through your social media feeds, you will wade through an endless array of hashtags. Whether you are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, hashtags are all the rage. A hashtag is a word or a series of words uh, that is marked by a hash symbol, and it's used in the description or the comment section of a post. It's used to categorize content on social media. So let me give you a couple of the most popular hashtags that's out there. Uh, hashtag happy, hashtag love, hashtag selfie, hashtag me, hashtag funny. But my, uh, my all-time favorite hashtag, and one that gets a lot of use on social media, is hashtag blessed. It's used to express gratitude for fortunate circumstances in everyday life. From getting a reservation at an exclusive restaurant, to avocados being on sale at Kroger, to, to getting into college, to the birth of a child, we are hashtag blessed. And it's not just people like you and me. Celebrities are all in on the hashtag game. Bruno Mars sings about it, and Kim and Kanye are hashtag blessed by exotic getaways, expensive bottles of champagne, and incredible views with overlooking sunsets. But we all have a vision for the blessed life, don't we? I, I know I do. This time of year is always interesting for me. We just entered into a new year, and like Tiffany said, last week I celebrated a birthday. I turned 44, and so for some of you, that's a shocking revelation. You're wondering what my secrets are. <laughs> and I will just tell you that I've got a little brown girl magic going on. <laughs> and if you think I look good, then take a look at Barb. <laughs> but I turned 44, and if I was to be honest with you, I would tell you that there's not a single thing in my life that looks the way I imagined. You see, I had a vision for the good life, for the blessed life. I had this vision for what my life ought to look like. I thought I would be married to a ridiculously good-looking man. Now, just go with me here. This is my vision. <laughs> Stay with me. So I thought I would be married. I thought I'd have children. Of course, they'd be perfectly well-behaved. I thought I'd have a successful, lucrative career that I enjoyed. I even knew the town that I wanted to live in. I wanted to live in Ridgewood, New Jersey. That's right. <laughs> I thought I would be blissfully happy. And none of those things have happened. Not a single one of them. And I don't think I'm the only one. I think we all have a vision for the blessed life. And so often, real life falls short of this vision. Perhaps for you, you thought you would be farther along in your career by now. Maybe you thought you'd be in a different career, a more meaningful career. Maybe you thought you'd be married by now, or maybe you are married, and your marriage doesn't look the way you imagined. Maybe you thought you'd have children by now, or, or you thought you had more money or a bigger home, and instead you're just struggling to get by. Perhaps 
you thought you'd have a better relationship with your children or, or that they'd be following after Jesus and instead you hardly speak and they wandered from the faith. Maybe you thought your life would be full of meaningful, rich relationships and instead you're grieving the loss of those you've loved. Perhaps you thought you'd live a healthy life and you're suffering with illness. Each of us has a vision for the blessed life. We all want to live hashtag blessed. But, but what do we do when real life doesn't line up with our vision for the blessed life? What, what exactly is the blessed life? Well, this morning, I wanna take a look at Psalm 1, and I wanna share with you three observations of what scripture shows us the blessed life is really about. And, and here's what I believe the scriptures teach us. The blessed life is knowing God. You want to live the blessed life? The blessed life is knowing God. And so this morning, I wanna just walk through Psalm 1, share with you three observations about the blessed life, and then I'm just gonna wrap up by sharing with you two truths that we can take from this Psalm to apply to our lives. Three observations, two applications. Make sense? Let's go, Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Here's observation one. The path of the blessed life. It's found in verses one and two. The path of the blessed life. Psalm one is the introductory psalm to the book of Psalms, and it opens up with this word blessed. And to be blessed means to be happy, to be fulfilled, to be intrinsically right. It's a happiness that flows from a complete well-being, a complete sense of rightness and total fulfillment. And so the psalmist begins by saying, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. The psalmist is beginning by saying that the blessed woman is committed to a life that is right and it shows in how she lives. She does not allow the ungodly or the world to shape her thinking, her actions, or her identity. And then the psalmist goes on and he says, but, and whenever there's a but in scripture, we ought to pay attention because what God is saying is, you wanna live the blessed life? You wanna live hashtag blessed? Then don't do this. Don't allow the world to influence your thinking, your attitude, and how you live. But blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now when the psalmist uses the phrase law of the Lord, he's not just referring to some portion of scripture. He's not just talking about the 10 commandments. He's talking about all of scripture. The path of the blessed life is found in delighting in and meditating on God's word. God's greatest revelation of, of himself to us, other than Jesus Christ, is his word. 
The Bible is a story. It's a story about us. It's a story about God and us. But first and foremost, it's a story about God. And in the pages of these sacred scriptures, God shows us who he is, what he's like, his character, his attributes, his power, his majesty, his beauty. And God invites us to know him as he's revealed himself to us through the story of scripture. The path of the blessed life is found in delighting in and meditating on God's word because that's how we know God. So what does it mean to delight in God's word? Here at IBC, we talk a lot about the five rhythms of scripture, prayer, mission, church, and worship, and, and how they're essential to the life of a missionary disciple. The five rhythms help us keep in step with God. They are gifts from God to help us walk closely with him. Now. It's not an exhaustive list. There are more than five spiritual disciplines, but we've chosen these five as a way to position ourselves in a place where God can transform our lives, where we can be open to God's work in our lives. The rhythms don't save us, they don't transform us, but but they allow us to align ourselves with what God wants to do in our lives. And here's what we say about the rhythm of scripture. Missionary disciples love God's word. Therefore, disciples seek to know him better by studying and allowing scripture to shape our lives. We delight in God's word. We love God's word because by reading it, we get to know God. And there is no one else more valuable, more beautiful, more beautiful of greater worth than God. There's no one else that will satisfy the deepest longings of our heart but God. There is no one else. But, but not only do we delight in God's word, but we are to meditate on it because, because it shows us who our God is. And, and, it's, and the psalmist says that we're to meditate on it day and night. And that's just really a poetic way of saying meditate on it all the time. Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline, quotes Thomas Akempis, the well-known medieval writer, when he says, in meditation, we are growing into familiar friendship with Jesus. I love that line because that's what I want. I want to have a familiar friendship with Jesus. We, we, if, you, if we want to grow in intimacy with God, then we must meditate on his word. So what does it mean to meditate? Often uh, when you hear the word meditation, it might make you think of Eastern religion or new age practices, but biblical meditation, the kind of meditation that the psalmist is talking about, invites us to pause and reflect on God's word. Eastern meditation is an attempt to to empty the mind, but biblical meditation is an attempt to fill the mind with the truth of God's word. Meditating on God's word day and night means that we fill our minds with its truth as often as we can. Meditation is thinking about what God's word says, reflecting on the text until we sense God saying something, and then we respond. It's not just Bible study for the sake of information or the sake of content. See, meditation means that we hear from God and then we do something with that. We respond to it. It's listening and reflecting on God's word. When you meditate on God's word, you allow it to shape your thinking, your actions, your identity. So how do you meditate on God's word? Well, here's what I want to encourage you to do over these next weeks of Bible study. As you sit down every day, as you read through the Psalms, read it slowly. Read it deliberately. Observe what's going on in the Psalm and then ask yourself these three questions. What does this Psalm say about God? 
What does this psalm say about me? And then here's the third question. Is there a sin to confess, a command to obey, a truth to remember, or a step of trust to take? You see, when we meditate, what we are saying is that if God's word is true, if what I just read is true, then how should I live? How should this impact my life? How should this impact how I think, feel, and live? Friends, the path of the blessed life is found in delighting in and meditating on God's word. The blessed life is knowing God. Let's move on to observation two, the product of the blessed life. That's found in verses three to five. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The psalmist goes on to use this metaphor comparing the blessed woman to a tree. And this tree is planted by streams of water and it's subject to seasons. It's not always bearing fruit. There's a season of cold, bitter winter and there's a season of dry, hot summer. It's been planted by the riverbank and its roots have access to a constant and steady stream of water, even in times of bitter cold and heat or drought. The product of the blessed life is stability and substance. It's not dependent on circumstances. Rather than being tossed about by the storms of life, the blessed woman is a woman of stability and substance. Her life has real meaning because she knows her God. The psalm doesn't say that you will always bear fruit. It says that there will be fruitless seasons. There will be barren times. But even in those times, the blessed woman grows. She prospers because her roots are deep, because she delights in and meditates on God's word, she's rooted in knowing who her God is. The psalmist takes it one step further to clearly show us that the blessed life is not dependent on circumstances. While the rooted and water tree is stable and secure, he, he says that the ungodly, those that do not know God, are like chaff, that the wind blows away. And the picture that's used here is an agricultural illustration of winnowing wheat. When you winnow wheat, you, you would toss it up and then what would happen is the outer shell, the lightweight uh, outside useless chaff would loosen and it would blow away in the wind. And so the, the kernel, the heavier grain, would fall to the ground and, and that's what would be gathered up. The contrast is clear. The ungodly life is a life that is not stable, a life that is not secure. It has no real substance. It's chaff. It's useless. Listen to me. If your life is not rooted in God, you will not be stable. You will not be secure. You will not live a life of substance. Your life will be meaningless. That's what God's word says. I think I've shared with you before that I grew up in a Christian home. My parents loved Jesus, they raised me to love Jesus, but I didn't, I didn't really come into a genuine relationship with the Lord until my senior year of college. And basically I came to a point in my life where I just knew that my life wasn't working. Everything looked good on the outside, but inside I was miserable, I was dead. And I started looking around at people around me that were influential in my life, people like my parents who just lived differently. Like for them, believing in God wasn't just this cognitive thing. Like it made a difference in their lives and in how they lived. You see, there's not a day that, I, that my mom and dad don't spend time meditating on God's word. I went home just this last 
just past Christmas, and, and even when I was there, I woke up in the morning and I see my mom at the kitchen table like I've seen her every morning with her Bible and her journal. And then late in the evening, I'll find my dad in his bedroom in his chair reading his Bible. See, they meditate on God's word, and so they know their God. And during my childhood, my teenage years, I saw my parents live out their faith in the midst of really difficult circumstances. Circumstances that were so far beyond their control. Uh, my, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was 40, and then 10 years later, she was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer, for which only 3% of the population survive. And my mom survived. And during just about that same time, my older sister was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease when she was just barely out of her teens, and then later as an adult, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Both my mom and my sister are two-time cancer survivors. I'm so grateful for God's blessing and mercy in their lives. But, but most of my growing up was really around them being really, really sick. Rounds of chemo and radiation, endless hospital stays and countless doctor's visits, biopsies and bone marrow transplants and all the other horrible things that come with having cancer. My parents did everything they could to fight cancer. And if you're a parent, you understand this. It's one thing when you as a parent have cancer, it's a whole other thing when your child has cancer. My parents hadn't been in the US that long. They didn't have that many resources. They didn't have a lot of money. They couldn't just go to any doctor they wanted to, but they did everything they could. And it was a really hard time for our family. And I remember one of my most vivid memories, it's just kind of seared in my mind, is this, I was probably about 10 or 11, this one night, everybody was asleep, or so I thought, and I heard sort of talking coming from my parents' bedroom, and, and, and I had a bedroom that I shared with my sister that was just next to theirs, and so I kind of snuck out of my room, and, and I went over to their room, and the door was just slightly ajar, and so I peered into their room, and I saw the two of them sitting on their bed, just reading the scriptures to one another, reminding themselves of who their God was. You see, they, they were rooted in God's word. And so they meditated on his character as revealed in these scriptures, and they reminded themselves of who God was, and so they never stopped trusting God. They had this, their faith in God just was remarkable, almost unshakable. And it wasn't because they weren't scared. I knew, even at 10 years old, I knew that they were scared. I saw them cry when things looked hopeless, but they just never stopped believing God. They knew who their God was. They knew their, his character. They knew that he loved them and cared for them, that he was the God who was with them and that he would provide for them. And so later, as an adult, as that senior in college, I, I looked back on their life and I thought, I want to live like that. I want to have that kind of confidence, that kind of security. I think the reason I know Jesus now has a large part to do with how they lived. But I also knew people who didn't know God. And don't get me wrong, they were good people. They were kind and compassionate and loving, but they didn't know God. They weren't rooted in something outside of themselves. They were not rooted in God. So while they had money and degrees and all sorts of things, when the storms of life came, they could not stand. They couldn't buy their way out of broken relationships and illnesses and job layoffs. They were like chaff. 
They were tossed back and forth by the wind. That's not the life you want. That's not the life Jesus came to give you. Jesus says, I've come that they have, might have life and have it to the full. Jesus came to give you the best possible life, a life that is so far better than anything we could possibly ever imagine. Jesus came to give you the blessed life. The blessed life does not consist of what happens to you. The blessed life consists of who you know. The blessed life is knowing God. We've talked about the path of the blessed life, the product of the blessed life. Here's insight number three, the promise of the blessed life, verse six. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The NIV translation uses the word watch, and and in the Hebrew, it's the word yada. And in many other translations, the word is translated to know. It means much more than to be informed or to know something cognitively. It means to know intimately. It's an experiential knowledge. It's the same word used in Genesis 4.1 where it says, Now Adam knew, Adam yada, Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. It's the way a husband and wife know each other when they consummate their marriage. It means to care about and to identify oneself with. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's the way God knows you. The promise of the blessed life is that God knows you. The psalmist is saying, God, my greatest joy is that I know you and that you know me. The promise of the blessed life is not that life will be easy or that things will always go your way. The Bible keeps it real. For those of you who have lived long enough, you know life is hard. The promise of the blessed life is that God knows you. It's that you get God. He's your greatest treasure. He's your reward. Paul puts it like this. But whatever regains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. God knows you intimately. He knows every single thing about you and he loves you. Tim Keller says this, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is well a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. The God of the universe knows you and loves you. Do you believe that? Do you understand the depth of that truth? Do you live out of that reality? Because nothing, not a single thing that happens to you is a surprise to him. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is the God who is for you. He is the God who knows you. And Jesus was the greatest example of someone who lived the blessed life. The the son of God gave up the majesty of heaven. He made himself nothing, became a man. He lived a perfect life. And if anyone, if anyone deserved the good life, it was Jesus But instead, his life was marked by poverty, rejection, injustice, and finally, a torturous death. If anyone could complain about life not being fair, it was Jesus. And hours before his death, he says this, he prays this, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Dying on the cross, being separated from the father, bearing the sins of all humanity, having the father turn his face away, this this didn't seem like the blessed life. 
And so Jesus begged God to release him from this responsibility. But this wasn't his deepest desire. His deepest desire was an intimate relationship with the Father. We observe again and again in the Gospels that that Jesus would often get up early in the morning and that he would stay up late at night to spend time with the Father. He knew the Father and the Father knew him and so he was able to say, but Father, yet not what I will, but as you will. Jesus shows us that the blessed life is knowing God. My vision for the blessed life involved marriage and children and, and a successful career but those weren't my deepest desires. Sure, I wanted those things, but that's, that's, that actually wasn't the greatest longings of my heart. Beneath each one of those surface desires was a deeper desire, a desire for love, acceptance, significance, security, identity. And those are good desires, but they're also deep core spiritual needs that can only be met by God. No one else can meet my need for love and significance and identity other than God. To try to satisfy those needs with a relationship, a career, or a house in the suburbs is idolatry, and more than that, it's foolishness because it will never work. See, we think we will finally have the blessed life if, if we fulfill all those surface desires when all along there are these deeper desires of our hearts. And until we see and understand the ultimate nature of our desires, we will never find what our hearts are so desperately longing for. Our deepest desires, our greatest longings can only be met by knowing God. Friends, this is the blessed life. The blessed life is knowing God. So how do you get there? You want the blessed life? (laughs) How do you get it? Well, I want to share with you two applications from this psalm. Here's the first one. Reflect on your vision for the blessed life. What is it for you that you feel like, oh, if I just have this, if I just get married, if I just have children, if I just have a bigger house, if I just lose some weight, if, what is it for you that if you just have this thing, then, then you'll finally be happy? Be honest enough with yourself to paint that picture and then for each of those surface desires, identify the deeper desire beneath it. Is it a longing for love? for security, for significance, for acceptance. Whatever that deepest desire is, bring that before God. Spend time this week sitting in silence and stillness before God and ask the Holy Spirit to to show you those deepest desires. And once you identify those deepest desires, then give it to God. Lay it before him and ask him to show you how only he can truly satisfy your desires. And you can't do this on your own. This isn't something that you could just sort of will yourself to do, but you don't have to. Ask the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of your heart, to show you the deepest longings of your heart, and then to show you more of who your God is and how only he can meet those desires. You want the blessed life? The blessed life is knowing God. Here's application two. I told you earlier that the path of the blessed life is found in delighting in and meditating on God's word. So commit to do that. Commit to know God by delighting in and meditating on his word. The God of the universe says he shows us who he is through these scriptures. Why would you miss that? Why would you not want that? Do you know who your God is? As you study the Psalms, as you spend time doing your Bible study, you have an opportunity to know God. So don't skimp on it and don't skip it. 
Sure, there'll be days where, where you don't get that time, but make a commitment. Commit to, to spending time with God every day, meditating on his word. And as you meditate, ask yourself, what does the psalm say about God? What does this psalm say about me? Is there a sin to confess, a command to obey, a truth to remember, or a step of trust to take? And the best part is you don't have to do this alone. You get to do it in community. I use a, a devotional book that has a reading plan as, as a way of meditating on God's word every day, but I don't do it alone. I have a really good friend who also uses the same book. And so not only am I in God's word, but, but I get to talk to her about it. That's why one of my most favorite things to do, that, that we get to share with each other what God is teaching us. And, and I love to, to, to tell her about, hey, here's what God showed me, here's what I'm wrestling with, here's where I feel like God's calling me to take a step of faith, here's the sin that God is convicting me of, here's more of who I see God to be as I read these scriptures. When we study God's word in community, it's powerful. So commit to knowing God by, by meditating on his word, by delighting in his word, and then talk to each other about it. And not just on Tuesday mornings, call each other, text each other, grab coffee together and talk about what God is teaching you. This is what it means to be the community of God. We get to do this together. We get to spur each other on in, in, in our pursuit to know God. And I can't think of a better thing than that. Here's how J.I. Packer, pastor and author, says it. What makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something which catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance, and this the Christian has in a way that no other person has. For what higher, more exalted, and more compelling goal can there be than to know God? What higher, more exalted, more compelling goal can there be than to know God? There is nothing better, nothing better in this life than to know God. The path of the blessed life is found in delighting in and meditating on God's word. The product of the blessed life is stability and substance. It's not dependent on circumstances. The blessed woman's life has real meaning because she knows her God. The promise of the blessed life is that God knows you. It's not that you get the stuff. It's not that you get the stuff that God gives you. It's that you get God. He's your treasure. He's your great reward. You want the blessed life? The blessed life is knowing God. When God speaks to us through his word, it's only right that we respond. And so I wanna give us a few minutes now to do just that. And so I'm just gonna ask you in the quietness of your heart to spend a few moments just reflecting on your vision for the blessed life. What does that look like for you? What is it that if you just have this one thing, then, then you'll be happy? And as you recognize those surface desires, what are the deeper desires underlying each of those surface desires? Spend a few minutes talking to God about it. There are note cards and pens uh, on your table. If you find it helpful to write that out, th then please do that. But spend a few minutes talking to God about that and then I will close our, our time in prayer. Well, Father, we come before you this morning. We stand in awe of who you are, that you are the God who knows us, that you invite us to know you. And God, we ask that you would help us to be women who delight in and meditate 
on your word because by it we know you. We lay our desires before you. You know everything about us. And we ask God that you would show us our deeper desires and how that they can only be satisfied by you. God, show us more of who you are. Show us more of your love, your power, your beauty, and your majesty that we might know you more and love you more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.